0: Welcome to Tuned to Yesterday, broadcasting programs from radio's Golden Age. I'm your host, Mark Levonier, and coming up in the Sour Drama. Later on, we'll hear the Armed Forces Theater with a compelling story called Return to Tomorrow. But right now, it's Here's to Youth, a January 15, 1944 broadcast, the second in the NBC series, where we hear about the children of workers for the Second World War in a play called Children of Trailer Town, USA.
1: Here's to Youth.
2: And me. I'm Dora, 14. And Billy, I'm ten. And I'm Jane. I'm the littlest one who can talk very well.
3: We're youth.
4: American youth. Americans of tomorrow.
2: The mothers and fathers of 1954. We'll make the new records in sports. We'll bat 500 and do 100 yards in nine seconds flat. And one of us will be president.
4: Yes, we're you. Americans of tomorrow, we're the strength of the nation. We and we alone are your every promise and hope for tomorrow.
1: Ten of America's leading voluntary youth agencies, through facilities made available as a public service by the National Broadcasting Company and its affiliated independent stations, present the first of a new series of programs dedicated to the Americans of tomorrow. Here's to youth. In just a moment, you'll hear a drama presenting a picture of what we and our youth face today. Now, in time of war, it's more important than ever for us to consider what our young people are and what they are becoming. In lands across the two oceans, they've long given such serious thought to youth. On youth, they base their hopes too.
5: Ich werde die Tausende Jahre menschlicher Kultur ausmerzen. Ich will wieder in den Augen der Jugend den funkelnden Blick, das sehen. And the humans will Oxen! or the
6: wealth of I shall eradicate the thousands of years of human domestication. I want to see again in the eyes of youth the gleam of the beast of prey. A youth will grow up before which the world will shrink.
1: In America, we have different hopes for youth. We speak to our children of humility, kindness, honesty, tolerance. We quote the golden rule... Yet we must remember that our responsibility does not end there. If we set the standards high and expect our youth to achieve them, we must see to it that to do so, they are given a full opportunity. Youth is not an easy time. Let every man look back for himself and remember. The problems are many. And today, with the world in chaos and no city or town in this nation too small or too remote to be affected, those problems have quickened and grown. 1944, and doubt it not, is a year of young Americans in crisis. The future of this generation of American youth is in our hands as well as theirs. Because we demand much of them, it's our duty to point and lead the way toward the goal we've set. The task is not an easy one, but help can be found ready to hand. Working together in these United States are voluntary youth agencies which are and can be of Indispensable Aid.
4: The Young Men's Christian Association.
7: The Boy Scouts of America.
4: The Youth Department of the National Catholic Welfare Conference. The Campfire Girls. The American Junior Red Cross. The Jewish Welfare Board. The Young Women's Christian Association. The Boys Club of America.
8: The Girl Scouts.
4: The National Federation of Settlements.
1: These ten of America's leading voluntary youth agencies are today intensifying their services to every community in the United States where problems of youth are critical and where help is needed. And together, in an effort to bring about wider recognition of such problems and greater appreciation of the need for prompt action to solve them, they present this series of programs. Here's to youth. (laughs)
4: Knock him
7: out of the box. Hit it. Hit it. Right.
4: And a boy, Sammy.
7: He can't hit the side hit of a barn. come mind, Johnny. We'll show the bum. And a boy, Johnny! Run, Johnny,
4: run! It's a three-bagger! Three-bagger, nothing. That's a homer.
1: It's just a couple of years ago. A warm May afternoon, and the kids are having a ball game in the big vacant lot off High Street. Johnny Carter's just tapped out a sweet one, and he's rounding the bases hard. It's a good game. The winners will feel pretty happy. And the losers will think the end of the world has come. But they won't get sore. Those kids don't lose that way. They'll work and sweat and figure out how they're going to win the next game. Just a couple of years ago, this is, in Greenville, which might be any small American city. And Johnny Carter, stepping proudly over home plate, might be any American kid in his teens.
4: Boy, Johnny, what did I tell you? A homer. Oh, that was nothing. Anybody could have pasted that one. Nothing. You hear what the guy says? There were two on, you dope, and that was a homer.
1: Yes, spring in Greenville and a ball game in the vacant lot off High Street. What could be better? Well, not much, I guess, except a place to come home to. A house like Johnny's where he and his brother and sisters live. A small frame house out on Market Street. A little yard in front the small flower garden in back. On the side, there's a door leading to the kitchen. That's where the kids come in late in the afternoon because
9: like is not not their feet
1: are muddy.
2: What you making, Mom?
9: (laughs)
1: See what I'm making, dear?
9: Cookies. And don't you touch them.
2: Mmm, they look yummy. Where have you been? Oh, playing hockey.
9: Well, you better run upstairs and wash.
2: I will in just a minute. Doris? Yes, Mother?
9: What have you got in your mouth?
2: Nothing, Mother.
9: And your hand. Doris, give me those cookies this minute.
2: Oh, I've got to go, Mother. You told me to go and watch. Doris! I'll go upstairs and watch, Mother.
6: The little limp.
1: <laughs> what could be better? A place to play and a place to come home to. Well, not much, except maybe a father to go fishing with on Saturday afternoon.
2: Oh, boy, Daddy. I'll bet Johnny wishes he was here.
10: Johnny had a ball game, Bill, but where did Doris go?
2: Oh, girls don't know how to fish. (laughs) Daddy? Hmm? What do you think we'll catch?
10: We won't catch anything if you keep talking so much. Daddy? Be quiet, Billy.
2: But, Daddy, I think I got a bite.
10: Bite? You got a whale there, Billy. Come on, pull him in. What could be better? A place
1: to play, a place to come home to... And a dad who'll take you fishing out by the waterfall on Saturday afternoon. What could be better? Well, not much, except maybe a mother to go to when things get really tough. Mommy!
9: Jane, dear, whatever is the trouble?
7: Mommy! Mommy!
9: Yes, dear, tell me. What is it?
2: It's Susie! Susie!
9: Your doll? Well, what's happened to her?
2: A boy put her up in the tree. I can't reach her.
9: Oh, well, well, Jane, I, I wouldn't cry so.
2: But she might fall, Mommy. She might break her leg.
9: Well, all right, dear. Then we'll take her down. There now, darling. Come along and we'll get Susie.
1: place to play and a home. A father and mother for companionship and warmth and help when help is needed. These are the fundamentals of our way of life, the few simple indispensables. With these, the thousand problems which youth is heir to can be solved, most of them, from day to day as they occur. But take away these indispensables and the road ahead for youth... Is plunged into darkness. That could happen here. It is happening. For the Carters, it began with war. At first, the changes were slow and gradual. At first, there were only disappointments.
4: Oh, heck. Oh, what the heck?
9: Why, Johnny, you home so soon? I thought you had a baseball game.
1: Game's called. But
4: why? It's not raining, is it? Game's called on account of there's no place to play. You know what they're doing? They're fencing off our lot on High Street. What? They're going to build a factory there.
7: Daddy! Just a minute, Daddy!
10: Hurry up, then, Billy. I can't be late for work, you know.
7: Daddy, this afternoon, will you do something with me?
10: Oh, you've forgotten, Billy. I don't get Saturday afternoons off anymore.
7: Oh. Well, Daddy...
10: Yes, what is it, son? Tomorrow. All right, Billy. We'll do something tomorrow.
7: Can we go fishing?
10: Oh, I'm afraid not, Billy. You see, they're building a new war plant on the river now, using that waterfall of ours for power. And we uh, really couldn't go anyway, son. I need all the gasoline they give me nowadays just to go to work and back.
7: Oh, uh, all right then, Daddy.
10: We'll think of something else though. But I got to run now. Bye.
7: Bye, Dad. Goodbye. <laughs>
1: Yes, the vacant lots began to disappear... and the streams were harnessed for war. And like a thousand other small industrial cities of the nation... Greenville began to grow. More workers were needed for the steel mill... the shoe factory, the textiles plant. The women of Greenville began to work... and a lot of the kids who were too young. Then the strangers arrived and the streets were crowded with them. And as the new faces multiplied many of the old familiar ones began to disappear. The teacher, the scoutmaster, and Joe behind the counter at the drugstore. Into the army or the navy or the marines they went, and their friendly presence was lost, it seemed, forever. That loss was great, but greater ones were in store.
10: Johnny, Doris, Bill, Jane, and Mother. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I've called this Grand Council because I have something to tell you, and Mother and I thought I could save a lot of breath if I told you all together instead of one at a time.
2: Are we going to have a party?
10: No, Janie, this is no party. I'm going into the Army.
2: My gosh. Gee, Daddy.
10: You certainly did keep
4: this one dark.
2: Why, Daddy? Why are you going to the Army?
10: Uh, Well, now, Jane, that's a good question. You see, your daddy's an electrical engineer. The Army needs a whole lot of electrical engineers right away. So I told the Army I'd come along and help them.
9: And they think so much of him, they're giving him a commission. What's that? He's going to be an
4: officer, dear. A first lieutenant. Oh, boy, Daddy. Gosh. Say, maybe I might even serve under you. I'm 16 already, and in a year I can enlist, you know.
10: Well, Doris, you haven't said anything yet. How do you like having an army lieutenant for a father?
2: I think it's fine. No, I don't think it's fine. I think it's awful. I think it's hateful. What? You're going to leave us and go away and maybe never come back. Oh, Daddy, please don't do it. Please don't go away.
10: But Doris, stay not now. Let me tell you.
2: Oh,
10: no, don't go away, Doris. Please come back here No, I won't. I don't want to hear. I don't want
7: to hear.
1: Yes, as the days of war progress. They grew more exacting. And as the community began to change, so did the American family. When he joined the Army, John Carter Sr. had high hopes that for his own family that change would not be too great. He had his commission and every confidence that within the year he'd earn a promotion. Till then, his family could supplement the allowance he sent home with money they'd set aside in the savings bank. That ought to last, he figured, a full 12 months but the
4: best-laid plans. Johnny, I've got to tell you something. I got a date, Mom. I got to hurry. Write me a letter. Huh? No,
9: John. This is serious.
7: Oh, okay, Mom.
9: What is it? Sit down, dear. It's... It's hard to begin. I waited till the other children were out. You're older, Johnny, and I wanted to tell you first. You'll understand better.
4: It's not bad news about Dad, is it?
9: No, thank heavens. It's not that. Well... This is the way it is. Your father doesn't make enough money in the Army to support all of us. So I've been drawing something from the bank every month. Just till he got a promotion. That was the way we planned it. But it's been seven months now, and the promotion hasn't come through. We've had all sorts of expenses that Daddy and I never figured on. Doris in the hospital with pneumonia. Billy having his appendix out. And the repairs to the furnace. And besides that, well, it it just costs more to live these days.
4: You mean... We're broke.
9: Just about, Johnny. Oh, but Mother... No, 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 wait a minute, dear. Let me finish. Things aren't quite as black as they sound. I had a long talk with your father's old boss two days ago, and, and he offered me a job. The pay is good, and... Well, I've decided to go to work.
4: I don't want my mother working.
9: I'm going to need your help to make a go of it, John. You and Doris will have to take over a lot of the housework and and help look after Jane. I hate to ask you, dear. I, I, I know it's not fair. It's not
4: that, Mother. But...
9: But one thing is very important, dear. We don't want Daddy to worry about this. He has enough trouble of his own already. Johnny, you... You will keep the secret, won't you?
7: Yeah, Mother. I won't tell.
1: So Mrs. Carter, like thousands of other American mothers in pretty much the same fix, went to work. The children... Well, they were good, normal, intelligent kids. They'd have to shoulder a few extra responsibilities, but this was war. You couldn't expect things to run along, nice and smooth, just the way you wanted them. They could take this in their stride, sure they could. Anyway, that was the way Mrs. Carter figured it. But it wasn't as simple as all that. It wasn't as easy as A, B, and C.
9: Come along now, Jane. Don't play with your cereal, dear. Eat it.
2: Cream, Johnny?
9: Huh? Johnny, put that newspaper down and eat your breakfast.
2: The cream, Johnny. C-R-E-A-M. Please.
9: Oh, okay. Mother, you look tired. Yes, dear, I am. Have some more coffee, huh? No, thank you. Just doesn't taste right this morning. You're not sick, are you, Mother? No,
4: of course not. Well, I think you are. And I don't think you should go to work.
9: Stay home and play with me, Mommy.
4: That's nonsense, John. I'm perfectly all right, and I've got to go to work. Well, I say you shouldn't. You're tired, and you're sick, and you shouldn't be working anyway. And here I am, 16 years old, and not doing a thing, just sitting around school. Well, what's the good of that? I'll be old enough to join the Army next year anyway. Oh, Johnny,
9: please. Well, I'm not going to have my
4: mother going to work sick when I'm loafing in school. I guess I can be some help to this family. I'm old enough, aren't I? I'm going to get a job.
9: John, don't you even think of such a thing. You're doing well in school, dear. You'll stick at
4: it. That's important. It's not half so important as my earning some money so my mother doesn't have to worry about going to work every day, even when she's sick. I don't care what you say, mother. I'm going to get a job. And I'm going to get
7: one now.
1: And so Johnny left school and went to work. And the weeks went by and the months. Word came from John Carter Sr. that he'd been transferred to another unit, that he'd been sick with jungle fever that the promotion was still just a hope. He was worried. How was the family getting along? Did they have enough money? Were the children well? They were well in body, Mr. Carter, but in spirit, they were being sorely tempted and tried.
2: Mother, may I wear your brown gloves tonight? The suede ones?
1: Yes,
9: Doris. Where are you going?
2: Over to Molly Weed. We're going to the movies, maybe.
9: Did you have fun at Molly's this afternoon?
2: Oh, yes. We had fun.
9: Doris, why? Why should you tell me a lie?
2: Why, Mother, what do you mean?
9: Why should you tell me that you spent the afternoon at Molly Weed's when you didn't? I called Mrs. Weed at 4 o'clock, and she said that you hadn't been there at all. And neither was Molly. Molly told her mother that she was coming here to see you at our house.
2: Checking up on me, aren't you? Behind my back.
9: Doris, dear, I've tried to bring you up to tell the truth. All of you. And I think you always have, until now. Doris, where were you this afternoon?
2: Well, I... I've got a job. What? Part-time, in the afternoons after school. What...
9: what is this job?
2: It's at Joe's Place. The bar? It's not just a bar. It's sort of a restaurant. Well, what... what do you do there? Well, I, sort of wait on table. Oh, Doris. Well, I haven't gotten anything better to do, and I make a little money. John's got money to buy things with, and I don't see why I shouldn't. And besides, Molly Weed's doing it, too.
9: Doris, were you and Molly going back there this evening? Yes. With whom?
2: Well, it's some boys we met there. They're in the Army.
9: Fourteen years old. I'm almost 15. Doris, you mustn't go there tonight. You and Molly stay here. Let me think about this. I I don't know. Maybe this is my fault. Dear, we've got to do something. But please don't go back there to that place tonight or tomorrow or, or ever again.
1: At last, Mrs. Carter, you've made an important admission. Maybe this is my fault, you said. And at last, Mrs. Carter, you've made an important decision. I'm going to think about this, you decided. Yes, these problems of yours and your children need a lot of thought. But don't think too long, Mrs. Carter. Action is needed before it's too late.
8: Hello? Oh, hello, Clara. How are you, dear? Oh, I can't complain. Bridge, this afternoon... Oh, well, I don't know. Hmm, yes. Well, you see, Clara, I got Jane here. Oh, little Jane Carter. Oh, I take care of her every other afternoon while Betty Carter's at work. Yes, that's her crying. She's been yelling off and on for two hours. I can hardly hear myself think. I don't know what's wrong with her. Oh, I don't think she has any fever. Just fussy, I guess. You really need me as a poet? Well, I'd like to play, well, what could I do with Jane? Well, that's an idea. Hmm, just bring her over to your place and let her play outside in the yard while we have our game. Oh, no, it's not too damp. She'll find something to do. All right, Claire, that's a good idea. Mm hmm, I'll do it. Yes, I'll be over in 20 minutes. Goodbye. Good grief, what a crybaby that
9: child is. Jane? Jane, dear, where are you? I'm coming, sweetheart. Oh, dearest, what is the matter? Why, I thought you were at Mrs. Jones. Did she bring you back?
2: She took me over to Mrs. Parsons. She left me outside. But,
9: But how did you get home?
2: I didn't like it there. I ran away.
9: Oh, darling, your face is so red. Oh, heavens, you're burning up. I feel awful, Mommy. Oh, there, there now, dear. We'll put you to bed in jiffy, jiffy and, and get the doctor. He'll make you feel better, sweetheart. Come along now.
7: Dear John,
9: it's late at night now and the children are all in bed. So many frightening things have been happening. And I've got to talk with you about them. No, I can't say that. Poor darling, he'd he'd worry so. Dear John, it's late at night now and the children are all in bed. They miss you so. But we're so proud of you. Things are pretty dull here, but we're all well and fine. You should see how Jane has grown. In a few months, she'll be going to school. Doris has become so pretty.
7: (laughs) And and Billy.
8: Oh. Oh, John. What
7: whatever shall I do?
1: Yes, Mrs. Carter, something must be done. Your home, your family, your hopes and theirs for future happiness have been deeply undermined. Something must be done and done quickly before they crumble and fall in ruins about you. But you and your children are not alone in your problems, Mrs. Carter. Throughout the length and breadth of these United States, such problems as yours repeat themselves with infinite variations. War has cast its shadow deeply across the families of this land, darkening the road which leads ahead. Though you'd find it hard to believe, there are many more unfortunate than you. The nomad families, old roots severed, drifting from city to city, from job to job, tired, bitter, unwanted... The citizens of Trailer Town, squatting on the outskirts of strange, hostile communities. Youth with no place to play, no real home to return to. With the father at work or at war, and the mother absent the whole night through on the long shift from midnight to dawn. These problems, and these people, and this youth, which has become dispossessed, are with us everywhere today. And as the war lengthens, their numbers increase. Help is needed. Help for this generation of young Americans in crisis. Next week at this same hour, we bring you the story of Trailer Town's children.
0: Here's to youth on Tuned to Yesterday from January 15, 1944 on NBC. That program was penned by Frank Wells, who was also part of the world's greatest novel series on NBC. And before the hour-long novel adaptations on the NBC University Theater of the Air, that unit produced many instructional and educational radio programs that students and universities took advantage of. One of them that Frank Wells wrote exclusively for at the time was We Came This Way, which covered topics like the Magna Carta, a story of the revolt of the peasants, and one called the Second French Republic or How the Common Man Became a Citizen. Wells obviously apt to the task of taking real stories of life and dramatizing them for radio. And you're listening to an hour of drama. On Tune to Two Yesterday, I'm your host Mark Levenier. And now the Armed Forces Radio Theater presents the play Return to Tomorrow. A topical broadcast of the time from April 25th, 1945.
1: The Armed Forces Radio Theater presents Return to Tomorrow,
5: starring Dane Clark with Kathy Lewis as Nora Marshall. The scene an Army separation center in California, a process now familiar to millions of Americans, is underway. Our attention, man. Let's have it quiet.
11: As you know, this is the next to the last step in your separation process. Here you have your personal interview with a counselor. Sound off as your names are called and your counselors would take in turn.
5: Mason? Here. Dunoski? Here. favorson
6: Uh, Kohler.
5: Yeah. Yes, uh, Lieutenant?
6: Uh, Captain Bennett in medics wants you to make a special check on one of the men of this roster.
11: What oh, goes? Claiming disabilities he doesn't have?
6: No, just the opposite. He has a shoulder wound that they're sure he must have had in service, but he won't admit it. But Captain Bennett couldn't figure the fellow.
10: That's
3: funny.
6: Well, here are his records. Uh, they're replacement records. His originals got lost two months after he enlisted.
11: Oh. Well, you can tell Captain Bennett I'll take care of it, sir. Okay, Colin.
5: Stevens! Sergeant Stevens! Yeah.
11: I'm Stevens. I'll take care of you myself, Sergeant. This way, please. These roster's coming so fast, keeps us all on the go. Yep. Uh, I am here. Yeah, sit down, Stephen. My name's Cola, Sam. Uh, can I have your information check sheet, please? Here you are. Thanks. Well, you haven't checked anything. That's right. I got all the information I need. So if that's all you hey, want... Hey, I'll hey, hey up... w- wait a minute, will you? I at least have to run through the form routine. Well, go ahead. Uh, first, your veterans' benefits under the G.I. Bill of Rights. Uh, how about loans? You plan to buy a house, out a business? You can no. borrow... No. I see. Uh, what about educational benefits? Now, at your age... Look, you... there's one thing you can tell me on that. What about correspondence courses? I'm already taking, uh, you know, the, uh, the SAFI courses. Oh, well, you can continue those at no cost. Oh, yeah, I see them here on your records. There. Hey six different courses. <laughs> I never knew anyone to be taking so many at once. In fact... Come on, you... come on. Let's get going, will you? Oh, sure. Now, uh, hospitalization benefits. You should realize, Stevens, that if a man has any service-incurred disability, it must be noted at the time of his... Discharge I haven't. Or... I've had no wounds and no disabilities. How many times do I have to say that around here? Okay. Yeah, just a couple more questions now, Sergeant. Um, what about government insurance? Let's see, you had $10,000, beneficiary of your mother. I'm stopping that. She died last year. Well, you can change the beneficiary, you know. Is there anyone else, Stevens? You got a sister? Girl, maybe?
5: Stevens, is there a girl?
12: Could just kiss the captain that gave you those three oh, days. Yeah. Oh, my. No. Well, Stevens. Joe, Hiya, Nora. It do?
5: This time next year, we'll be in Berlin. Eh? <laughs> the infantry yeah. and the Red Cross and, and everything. <laughs> All together. Peace. It'll be wonderful. Right, Nora? Right, Joe. It'll be wonderful. And, Stevens, if you behave yourself, we'll even let you marry Nora.
12: Joe. I can
5: just see the headlines in the Stars and Stripes. Tall, silent, Handsome sergeant Joe. of the eighty seventh marries the prettiest Red Cross girl. Joe, the... shut up!
11: You've had too much grappa. What's the matter, Salpus? Ain't she good enough for you? All right, brother, you're ex. Carl, asked listen, no. no,
12: Carl, R- run along, Joe. Carl, huh? please. Uh,
11: I'm sorry, Nora. Oh, I, let's I, not
12: I... talk about it. Put your arm around me. 1945.
11: Happy New Year, Carl. Happy New Year, Nora.
12: Oh, Nora. Oh, darling. (laughs) You know that's the first time you've kissed me since Naples? No, honey, no, no.
11: No? No, it was Palermo.
12: (laughs) Udja, Algiers, Palermo, Naples, and Rome. You know, we read like a history of the Fifth Army. Quiet.
11: Quiet, come here.
12: Oh, Carl. Darling, your your arms, you're hurting me. I I couldn't breathe. (laughs) I'm sorry. Crazy. I wanted to talk to you. What about? Well, Ricky wrote me a while ago about you. Kind of scared me. Said you were acting like, well, like a man who didn't care what happened to him. He described that pillbox episode at... I guess it must have been casino, and... Ricky he talks, talks that... too
11: much, and he's a liar. I had nothing to do with the deal. Rick did it himself. He got the silver star for it.
12: Yeah, but that's just it. He said you should have gotten it.
11: Have you still got that letter?
12: Y- yes, I think so.
11: I want you to tear it up. Carl! Oh, you heard me.
12: All right, darling. Build your walls high and thick, don't you?
11: And what is that supposed to mean? Oh,
12: darling, don't let's fight. Please. T- tell me about your studies.
11: They're going all right?
12: Oh, that night in Salerno, when we talked about the courses you might take, we discussed six, and you were going to decide on two of them?
11: I changed my mind.
12: <laughs> and took all six. Ricky took... Th- that is, I, I heard about it.
11: <laughs> Seems to me you heard about a good many things. What have you and Ricky got a private wire between you?
12: <laughs> you know, Carl, you, you've never told me exactly what it was all for. I mean, where you were aiming what plans you're studying fit into Darling, t- tell a girl what happens that that happy day you step out of khaki and into a gray pinstripe.
11: If a guy realizes he never had the right kind of schooling and he wants to do something about it, isn't that answer enough?
12: Well, of course it okay, is, Okay, we better get I... back
11: inside. I have to find Ricky and the others. Our convoy leaves at one thirty from the palazzo. I see. Uh, Nora. Nora, I, uh, should have told you this earlier. I probably won't get into Rome again. No? And, uh... We'd better not plan on seeing each other after this. God. And that goes for letters, too. I hope you understand.
12: I'd have to be pretty blind not to.
11: Well, look, when all this started, we made a deal. We agreed that we'd see each other whenever and wherever we could, but that neither of us would ever let it mean too much to it.
12: We said that in Salerno a year and a half ago.
11: Look, I don't have to tell you what knowing you has meant to me, Nora.
12: No. I guess neither of us needs to speak of that.
11: So I guess I'll get along.
12: Carl, I'm... Carl, I'm not a a very proud girl, but I'm a stubborn one. I'm going to ask you two questions, perhaps only one, and then then it'll be however you say it. Please, Nora, I... Carl, is there another girl? Are you married?
11: Of course not.
12: (sighs) Oh, I knew that in my heart, but I had to hear it from you. Well, here's the second question. I told you I wasn't a proud girl. Now, or next week, or n- next year, or whenever this is over, will you marry me?
11: Oh, oh, God in heaven! Why did you have to? Ask? Why did you have to say that?
12: Oh, Carl. Goodbye. Better start. You'll miss your convoy.
11: Listen to me, Nora. Look at me and listen. All right. You didn't have to ask me that question about another girl, and you know it. There never has been anyone there. There never will be anyone like you. You. You were the woman that couldn't happen in my life. You were light and darkness. You were a dream of things as they might have been, but. But you were a dream, and that's all you could be. And now it's over. I... I never said I loved you. Did I have to? Do I have to now? All right, I love you. And that ends it. It stops here and now. It shouldn't have happened like this. I never meant it to. But I have a habit of things turning out in ways that I don't intend. Look, Nora, let me go. I don't say forget. You won't do that any more than I will, but write me off.
12: Sure. Sure, that'll be easy. Why don't you just go now, Carl? We can't say any more.
11: Goodbye, Nora.
3: Sergeant Stevens, did you get my question
11: about the beneficiary? Is there a girl, maybe? Hmm? What? Oh, uh, I'll, I'll keep the insurance. Change the beneficiary and convert it into a straight-life policy. Good, Good idea. Now, let's see... Look, uh, I've got back pay coming, and I, I want to sign that over to the insurance. I want to pay it ahead. Okay, I'd better write in the name of the beneficiary. Miss Nora Marshall. Marshall. Address? Headquarters, American Red Cross, APO 954. That's a little unusual. I mean, haven't you got her address in the States? That address will do. It's the only one I have for her. Are there all the questions? Well, yeah, just about. Let's see. Um, what about a claim for awards and decorations? They're all there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Four bronze combat stars, one distinguished unit, citation. Now, uh, what about personal decorations? You got no medals from our own or an allied government? No special awards? <laughs>
3: Carl. No medals from our own or an allied government. No Silver Star. No Quadigare. Corporal Rickman, C Company reporting, Major.
6: Rickman, Sergeant Carl Stevens is a good friend of yours, isn't he? Best I've got, sir. We're trying to get the real story on what happened that day at Sargamine. The incident of saving that column of French tanks.
3: Sergeant Stevens was mostly responsible, sir. And he's the one who pulled that French officer out of the lead tank. After it caught fire. Well, that
6: confirms the letter from General Leclerc's headquarters, Major. Send in Stevens again.
3: Stevens?
11: Yes, sir.
6: How do you, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Your story of what happened at Sargamine doesn't jibe with that of Corporal Rickman. Might be well to check your memory, Sergeant. This letter talks about a quad de guerre.
11: Rickman should get it, sir. He saved that column of tanks.
6: I suppose you had
11: nothing to do with it? No, sir.
6: And you didn't conceal an
11: arm wound that day so that you could stay in action? Both my arms are okay, Major.
6: You realize, Stevens, that you're talking your way out of a French decoration?
11: No man has to take a decoration he doesn't feel entitled to, sir. Regulations. That's right, Major. All right, Sergeant. That's all? Yes, sir. Rickman,
6: I know he's lying, but I'm blamed if I know why. Do you?
3: No, sir. But do you mind if I say something, Major? Go ahead. Don't do any more about it. I've known Carl since Africa. I don't pretend to figure him. But I know one thing. Nobody can change him, now or ever. Medals is for fellows like, well, like the rest of us. But Carl, he don't even know they exist. Or if he does, he won't admit it, now or a 100 years from now. No medals, Carl? No Silver Star. No Quadigare.
11: You're sure on the awards, Stevens? Nothing coming that you failed to put down? Mm-hmm. I'm very sure. All right, Sergeant. There's your papers. Check at finance, and you're a happy civilian. Good luck to you. The ticket to San Francisco.
12: Sure. Coach a
1: sleeper. Coach. I can give you a lower, just out a cancellation.
9: I'll
11: ride the coach.
1: Sure. Sure, mister. It'll be seven ninety.
7: Yeah,
3: just back from overseas, huh? Been holding a lot the boys just back in my cab lately. Must feel kind of funny in a way.
1: Uh, Say, you want me to drive you right in? I guess you're expected.
11: Yeah, drive right in. I'm expected.
5: Carl Stevens? Yeah. The chief will see you now. Go right in. Hello, Stevens. Come in. How are you? All right. Sit down. I'd like to talk to you. We've got nothing
11: to talk about. I'm back to finish the rest of my sentence, Warden, seven years and two months. And I'll start now.
5: Our scene is once more the office of Warden Thomas of the State Penitentiary.
11: Look, warden, I didn't go through the routine that's on the books, the parole office, and the rest. I came straight here. I'm ready to go on where I left off.
5: Now, wait a minute, Stevens. <clears throat> Under the law, your time in the service will apply. You have the additional advantage of a fine record while you were here. That helped you, as I remember, when you wanted to enlist uh, after Pearl Harbor. And now that fact, coupled with your army record, may mean substantial shortening of your sentence. Now, if you can get letters from your commanding officer... No. And... What? I said I'd finish my rap. I'm not writing to the army. I don't want anyone
11: else doing it. Well, it's only for your own good.
5: A man who has volunteered to risk his this life... This is
11: one decision I've got a right to make, and I've made it.
5: Well, I, I don't get it. But if you're
11: sure that that's what you want... Yeah. Oh, uh, there is one thing. Once before I left, I got offered a job in the prison library, and I turned it down. Now I'd like to take it. The library? Well, what's wrong with that? A man can change his mind about something,
5: can't he? Oh, well, of course he can
11: all right, Stevens, since this is how you want it. Thanks, Warden. This is just how I want it.
5: Carl! Uh, oh, Carl. Oh, here you are. Reading again? Look, don't you know the job process is to give out books, not to read them? In two months, I think you already read half the whole library. Oh, oh, I almost forget. Yeah, I wanted a front. The big guy's office. Oh, the warden? Yeah, they say right away. Go right in, Stevens. you sent for me, sir? Yes, Stevens. After you came back here, certain investigations were routine under state law. And I found out through normal channels that your record was clear. But I didn't find out uh, certain things that are not in that record. Not till today. What kind of things? I wanted you to stay out of this. Stevens, uh, I've had a letter drawn up outlining certain of your actions in the Army. And I want you to sign it. It's addressed to the governor of the state. No. Let's see that letter. Where'd you get all this dope? What goes here? Uh, Michaels. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. Stevens, someone here who wants to talk to you. Someone who may have better power of persuasion than mine.
12: Hello, Carl. Nora.
5: I've tried to talk to him, Miss Marshall. I I don't think it's much use.
12: Warden, is there there somewhere that Carl and I... Why,
5: you just stay here. It's not exactly usual, but this isn't exactly a usual case.
12: Thank you. Word reached me about the insurance, Carl. Yeah. I, I was glad. Glad because it helped me find you, and I began to think I never would. I traced the nearest separation center, and from there I'd... Carl, please don't look at me like
11: that. You weren't to find me but here. But I
12: have found you.
11: You think I didn't mean what I said that night in Rome? I know
12: what you said. I've lived with the words for a year. But I didn't know till a few weeks ago why you said them. I do now.
11: Laura, I want you to go. I, uh, I'll write you. I'll explain anything you want. But you must leave here now.
12: I've been busy since I found out, Carl. I wrote to Ricky... And he sent affidavits on what really happened at Casino in Sabanin. And after that, I saw people here. The judge who sentenced you and... And yesterday, the governor. Do you know what he said? He said that if the facts I presented prove to be true, you'll be pardoned. Pardoned, Carl. Not just a shortened sentence of pardon.
11: And while you were so busy, did you ever have time to look up why I'm here?
12: Yes, you were convicted of second-degree murder in a compass after the fact, 20 years.
11: Did you read there, too, about the kid they sent to the gas chamber? The kid that went on along on a job that I had arranged and just happened to pull the trigger instead of me? Did you read that? Yes. And did you go further back? Did you get the full story on Carl Stevens' two trips to the state reformatory before he was 16? Four other convictions even before the murder trial? Why didn't you read that while you were at it?
12: I did. And I read a lot, too, about a kid who grew up in constant poverty... A kid who never met anyone who could set him straight or who wouldn't listen if he did. Now, look, Nora. I read about a guy look, who had to do everything his way, right or wrong. Listen to me. An obsessed guy, a psychologist would call it.
11: All right. You want it straight? A guy with an obsession? Maybe so, but here it is. The Sergeant Junior in Italy and Carl Stevens, the convicted murderer, are two different guys and they're going to stay that way. Sure, I'd turn down a couple of medals. You know Why? I think so. When a GI overseas gets a medal or even a Purple Heart, they send a story back to his hometown paper, a big spread on the whole deal. That would have looked great in the local Big House Weekly, wouldn't it? And on the other side, if one word of where I came from had gotten overseas to the guys in my outfit, if they. Have you any idea what the Army meant to me, Nora? For the first time since I was 14, I wasn't a guy with a record. I was clean. I was me, Carl Stevens, as good as the next guy. All right, I did what I had to do, what I could do. So I pulled a Frenchman out of a tank. What of it? Could I stand there and let him burn? But that's all part of the Carl Stevens, who was a sergeant in the Army. It had nothing to do with the guy doing 20 years. Nora, I've had two numbers tacked on me in my life. One I got here. The other I got in the Army, and that one's okay. But add them together, and I don't like the score. Now, does it make it clear?
12: Carl... Carl, you said you were a different person in the Army. I was. No, you weren't. You were yourself in a different world. You found a kind of chance you never had before, and you made the most of that chance. But you can't stop being that new person. Life goes on. We don't just turn it on and off because of some some idea in our head. We
11: finish things. We even up scores. We pay off accounts.
12: You have paid off. I know what's in your mind, Carl. You... You feel that finishing your sentence will make up for what happened long ago. But that's in your mind. That's your obsession, Carl, and you can't cling to it. I
11: know what I'm doing, and I'll do it my way.
12: Carl... Carl, ever since I've known you, you've been studying. I know why now. It was for the time you're free. It was so you'd be better able to do the things you believe in. And you're needed, darling. The war is over, but it's not ended. There are still things to fight for and to fight against. There's there's the kind of poverty that made you grow up as you did. There's intolerance between races and nations and religions. And there's the blindness of those who will not see. You, you've you got strength and and you've got courage, Carl. The world needs them now from you and from every man like you. I... I said you had courage, and it'll take that to admit to me and to yourself that you've been wrong. But do it, please. Please do it. Carl? Where are you going? Carl!
5: Stevens, what is it? Where are you going?
11: Don't listen, Carl. You know what you have to do. You're going back to your cell and you know why. Carl Stevens, you stand convicted by the laws of this state for murder in the second degree. And I sentenced you to 20 years. Go back and finish, go back.
12: That's over, Carl. Life goes on.
11: Go back and finish. What about the tank that was fire, on the French officer? I suppose you had nothing to do with that. Don't think about it, Carl.
12: life goes on, we don't just turn it on and off because of some idea in You've our got heads.
11: got to finish your sentence.
12: An obsession, got Carl. Got to finish. Men like you to fight. Fight against poverty, against intolerance. You've got to go back and finish. It will take courage, Carl. Courage to admit you're wrong. But do it, Carl. Please, Carl, now.
5: Oh, Carl, it's you. The way you come back in, I- Carl, oh, what, what is wrong with you? Hey, where do you go?
11: Carl. <laughs> Warden. If you still think there's a chance, I've change my mind. I'll sign that letter to the governor.
12: Carl. Oh, Carl.
11: I was wrong, Laura. Those numbers can add up. We can make them add up. And we're going to.
6: Tomorrow, starring Dane Clark with Kathy Lewis as Nora Marshall,
1: was a presentation of the Armed Forces Radio Theater. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education.
0: The Armed Forces Radio Theater, on Tuned 2 Yesterday from August 21st, 1945, on the Armed Forces Radio Service. And that brings to a close this hour of drama on Tuned 2 Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great shows from radios past. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levenier. It's been a pleasure.